Welcome to episode three of Beanie and Blazer Radio, your weekly audio dump of high performance insights and best practices to help you engineer a purposeful lifestyle. Hosted by me, Brandon Walker, and Eric Horback. In today's episode, we're talking the mother of all recovery, sleep. Why it's undervalued, why it's so important, how you can get more of it, how you can optimize for naps, where we've learned these things from. It is an absolute deep dive into one of the most important things you can do for yourself. Thanks for listening. All right, all right. React and Riff, the segment where you learn more than you expect about things that actually matter. This week was my turn to do the research. You ready to get fucked up with some knowledge? I was born ready. All right, let's do it. So have you ever heard of the novelty effect? No. Okay, so the novelty effect is basically the, uh, the bias that we all have towards new information. And so this is what... Uh, social media does a really good job of it's of feeding us new stuff because we have a tendency to believe that the newer the thing is that we hear, the newer it's been researched, the newer it, it is coming to our attention, the more valuable and viable it is. So there's all those hacks and listicles and diets and fads and trends and all these other things. These are the things that are mainlined into us by uh, all the stuff that we consume on a day-to-day basis. So the novelty effect impacts us because it takes us away from fundamentals. It takes us away from the basics because the basics aren't super sexy, right? So I played college basketball and I had a coach that wouldn't let us scrimmage or do any fun drills or anything until we all completed like 10 layups with both of our like left and right hand. We had to make 10 free throws. We had to do ball handling exercise and like defensive postures. It took up like the first 30 minutes of practice every day. It wasn't fun. It wasn't sexy. But the point is the things that make you really good, like the scaffolding that you stand on to be a talented basketball player are all rooted in the fundamentals. And so what I wanted to talk about today is not the novelty effect, sleep how sleep is something that people overlook and are constantly searching for new productivity hacks, new ways to be better, faster, stronger, but how that impairs folks from actually focusing on what really, really matters, the fundamentals of sleeping. And so um, life is all about strain and recovery. That's what the Aura Ring does. That's what the Whoop does. We have a ton of strain in terms of our cognition, our work, our families and friends, the things that we have to do on a daily basis that are mentally draining. And then we also physically wear ourselves down throughout the day, um, both by exercise, by just being humans on a day-to-day basis. And so sleep is one of those really, really important mechanisms for recovery that if you get poor sleep over a period of time, the negative impacts compound. It gets worse the less sleep you get over time. And the inverse of that is true as well. As you get better and better sleep, it has compounding positive effects. So before we dive deep into sleep and do the prefacing, get into the research and the nitty gritty of it, this is a hot topic for you right now. Uh, What I happen to know about you just as a person is you prioritize sleep like above everything else. But six, seven months ago, you had a new kid and that 
you know, stole your ability to focus on that and be selfish with that. And so I just wanted to talk about anecdotally what it's been like for you to go from being like the princess and the pea to having a child. <laughs> I didn't write that down. I just, that's what came up right there. Uh, from being the princess and the pea to, you know, having a kid that steals your sleep. Yeah. So it all, it started with me with sleep. Years ago, I read a book called Why We Sleep. It's a great book. It's incredible. So the book paired with um, my wife needs about 10 hours of sleep. So she's always led the way in sleep. I'll get up at like 4 a.m., 5 a.m., and she just needs to sleep on uh, until we had a, a child. And so that whole experience of having to be up every two hours was such a massive life change for both of us. Her, because she just naturally needed a lot of sleep. And me, because I, I um, like through the education I've had, like reading the books and all that, I've seen the importance of sleep and I've read the studies on the importance of sleep. So it was always just um, logically the thing to focus on and actually do it. So um, yeah, so in my experience with having a child, so this is, this is what you go through. And parents out there, will know exactly what I'm talking about. They have to eat every two hours. Right. The guy can't do it. But if you don't have a great partner that's willing to say, okay, go sleep in the guest room, at least someone can be um, somewhat coherent, then um, it's still going to be a struggle. And now everyone's up at, for every two hours. And you know if you're up every two hours at night, you can imagine what your day is like. It's like you walk through the day in like this fog of life. I can't imagine. So we're lucky enough and we're blessed enough to, to work from home. We both own our own businesses. Um, and we don't have to actually go into like a work setting, but I've talked to new fathers a ton and asked them about their sleep habits. And I've talked to them about like the being the beginning, the first few months, the first couple of months you're like, okay, I can handle this. I'm a beast. Like I'm dad. Mm -hmm. But after like two months, like eight straight weeks of broken sleep, it is absolutely like life changing, detrimental to your mental like capacity. It's uh, you can't you can't think, you can't do anything. Even driving becomes like I feel like I'm not a good um, member of the driving community being on the road with that little sleep. <laughs> and you drive a Tesla, which could drive <laughs> itself. <laughs> yeah, dude, I was drive I was having to drive itself in parking lots. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing this. I don't have the fucking time for this. <laughs> But yeah, in, in the end, so I've talked to a lot of fathers um, and I, you know, it, it made me very grateful for my lifestyle because we could take naps whenever we want, like working from home. Just, and I guess everybody has that with COVID, but well, <laughs> yeah, but, um, but in, if, in general and for a lot of, for a lot of parents, they don't have one kid, they have yeah. multiple kids, many of whom need to be homeschooled. So like what becomes a period of rest and recovery for you and Candace the mother, father, even if they're home, they may still work for other people. They have to homeschool the kids. And so it's like, it's actually not a reprieve no. in any capacity to have everybody at home. Yeah. Cause you still have whoever it is above you with their thumb trying to figure out how, to, how do you get you, that presentation is due at four. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I haven't slept till 4 a.m. since 4 a.m. And even before that, I only had like two hours. And meanwhile, you're getting begged for applesauce. And so you're well, not yet. That's this is like the first few months. It's just there's no applesauce. It's no, just not you. The metaphorical. Oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> metaphorical <laughs> parents here. <laughs> I got it. Um, all right. So you talked about having talked to a lot of different dads and, yeah. and you're talking about like 
how you have experienced anecdotally the impact of not getting great sleep. I found this really, really cool study from Johns Hopkins uh, where they talked about the impact of having late hours, insomnia, a sleep disorder, and the impact over time. And there are some stats I just wanted to pull up real quick. So from a safety standpoint, you brought up driving. Mm. 6,000 fatal car crashes a year are caused by drowsy driving. Wow. 6,000. Yeah, so that's obviously pretty impactful. One in 25 adults who have fallen asleep at the wheel um, has happened due to a lack of sleep. Uh, Brain impacts. 33% increase in dementia risk. Um, Your brain is aged three to five years um, from significant prolonged sleep deprivation. So what's significant? Uh, It's not explicitly outlined here. Um, They just generally refer to sleep deprivation. Uh, Mm. I can do a little bit more research and find that out. um, So we can post that in the show notes. But one thing... You feel shitty right now. You were talking about your allergies. I can hear you being a little bit congested. You're three times more likely to catch a cold when you are sleep deprived than if you're healthy. It has an impact on your immune system. It has an impact on your physical health. Like you have your appetite goes up. Your libido goes down. You are exercising less. All of these things are derivative of the chemical and electrical changes that start occurring as your body lose out on more, loses out on more and more sleep. So um, understanding all of those, you know, the, the, the statistical impact of not getting enough sleep. Do you have special tips, tricks, or anything that you've learned for new parents or people in general to get better sleep that you've experienced? So what we did was a lot of communication and a lot of planning. So we would know which days um, one of us would. So we, we would rotate. Like she, was like, she was breastfeeding, so we would rotate bottle. We tried not to do bottles because she was trying to stick to breastfeeding. Right. But just so she can get like a four or six hour stretch okay. without uninterrupted, we would introduce a bottle like one feed. So we would rotate and do that a few days a week where I would just I would be the one that got up every two hours or at least in that gap to make sure that she got like a good stretch. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing that we did to prioritize sleep. Um, the other thing was to constantly communicate. And for, for me, I'm, I'm a, like a professional napper. Like I'm good. Yeah. And what I do when I nap is, um, I have n- noise canceling headphones. Um, and I can lay on a couch. It doesn't matter for me. The daylight doesn't really bother me, but the idea I either I have two versions of a nap, an actual like two hour or like an hour long like solid nap, or I'll frequently touch sleep is what Candace and I call it, which is you just take like fifteen or twenty minutes, <clears throat> you sink down into like a theta brainwave, and come back out, and you come out completely refreshed, and, it, and you can it can and that can kick you into gear for a few hours until you do it again, mm-hmm. right? So it's almost like instead of opting for coffee which is so easy to do. And believe me, we did. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, put the coffee cup down and touch sleep a little bit. Get your brainwaves into that, that theta mode. So it'll help you uh, unpack your emotions in, in like the theta touch sleep state so that you're not acting on all the cortisol and stuff that's pumping through your body right. because you had that lack of sleep. Right. So that was a big thing for us. Um, getting the schedule on point was was everything so we had like weekly meetings <laughs> Candace That's and I a good idea my wife and I 
Um, and we would try to plan out like who's sleeping when and how it's going to work and who's going to take, is, is it, what, what days are we doing the bottle? What days are we not doing the bottle and kind of rotate through that way. And that helped out a ton. Were you guys able to stick to that? Like as the reality of the week and the exhaustion and everything else kicked in, was it easy to stick to the plan? Uh, for the most part. Yeah. But it was, I mean, it's still not enough. Like you're still right. certainly not getting enough sleep. Right. Right. And it still is taxing as hell. Um, what helped me the most, I, you, you know me, I, I have a pretty rigorous like meditation mm-hmm. uh, routine. And I have for a while. And I kept it. And I made sure to keep it. And in fact, I ramped it up before he was born, knowing that it was going to be a challenge. Um, and I was, as I am with everything that I do, I'm naturally way overly optimistic so even going into it i was like god we'll be fine this is gonna be easy i'll get sleep i'll go in the guest room i'll take a nap we'll be okay and then once you jump in it's like holy fuck i am so tired my brain just doesn't work how am i supposed to get my work done how are we supposed to do anything i talked talked about driving (laughs) so (laughs) basic basic motor skill at this point and what it is and it's not it's like the first couple of months first few months even you're still like, you know, at least for me, because I'm naturally an optimistic, like hard charging person. I'm like, yeah, hey, I got this. Like, we can do this. We can do this. But no matter what, it hits you like a sack of bricks in like month three or four. So there, we got to a point where we were just like, we just need to figure something out. I read um, like three or four sleep books for children, for babies. Uh, we implemented a ton of different techniques when you read some of these books, there's like this balance between some people that are like really for the cry it out method. And so like the Ferber method, I think they call it. And some people that are just like really against it. Um, so there's like this interesting, like reading both sides of the story helps you find this like happy little medium that I was trying to find. And we struggled through for a couple of weeks. I finally ended up getting like a sleep coach and that helped out tremendously. And then boom, we ended up after like three or four weeks of struggling to, um, actually find a rhythm. We actually found it. So we made a commitment and this was the biggest thing that we did that helped out tremendously. And this probably, this could probably transfer to just about a, a lot of different parts of like going through some sort of struggle like this, but we made a commitment to focus on only one thing. It was like week, I think it was right after the third month. And we were just like, we couldn't get anything accomplished. Mm-hmm. It was so tough. Um, I remember that. Yeah. And we made a commitment. Candace and I were like, look, we're going to put businesses aside. We're going to put all this other stuff aside and we're just going to focus on sleep. That's it. We're, we're going to focus on, on his sleep and our sleep. And until we get it right. And then that's what we did. It took us a month, maybe three weeks, but it was, we were already reading the books. We were already doing like the different like schedules. We were trying different things, trial and error. Finally, we got the sleep coach, and that, that's what really led us to getting the sleep coach. Um, but it was like we made that commitment, and within, within a week, we saw improvement. Within a couple of weeks, we were like well on our way to getting like six, seven, eight-hour stretches. And then within, I think, four weeks, we were at, I think, 10, 11, 12 stretches. That's awesome. Yeah. So obviously you guys prioritizing getting a sleep coach and um, putting everything else on hold, including generating income and all these other pieces of your life. 
you've identified that sleep is a really important part of a performance-based lifestyle. Hmm. And so I know you've read the books and Candace really valued it. You said that at the top of the conversation, but why do you think that you guys intuitively dove in after sleep and tied that back to, you know, performance as a general rule? It was the education. Like you, what's that saying? Like you've, um, you fall back on your training. What's, mm-hmm. what's yeah, that saying? You, you probably can uh, repeat you, it better. You, you don't rise to the occasion. You fall back to your practice. Something so like you're tra- that. The level of your training. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like exactly it, right? I was trained to the point where like prioritizing sleep was so important for mental clarity that once I noticed the mental clarity gone, the first place I looked was sleep. You know, there are, there are three key takeaways that I want people to have coming away from this conversation, including you. And uh, we'll keep diving into other satellite pieces of this. This is going to open up a lot of room for conversation. But three key takeaways to improve sleep. And again, the reason why sleep is so important is every, every hour, let's say, of sleep that you don't get or every REM cycle that you don't get. And a REM cycle is a 90-minute pattern of sleep that brings you down into a deep theta state. You go into dream mode, your body is in recovery. It's clearing out a lot of like theoretical toxins and stuff out of your head, recharging you. Every 90 minute cycle that you do not get is basically like a, a sleep debt that you owe that accumulates over time. And the greater that debt is, just like financial debt, the greater the burden, the greater the stress, the greater the anxiety that comes incumbent in that. And when you're feeling those feelings of anxiety, burden, stress, it's harder to do the rest of stuff that just happens in life, like exercise and loving other people and loving yourself and all those sorts of things. So that's why sleep is such a critical, critical piece of the puzzle in terms of performance, but it often gets overlooked because people are looking to squeeze as much as possible into a 24-hour window, and sleep is one of the things that people think they can sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm positing that. That's the one area of your life that needs to be completely inflexible, very structured, very routine. Mm. So takeaway number one, setting up a morning and a night routine. What that means is consistent bedtime, consistent wake-up time. For me, my happy ass is in bed at 10.30 p.m. When I get in bed, I'm doing my gratitudes from the day. It's just a quick journal entry with three things like, I'm really grateful Eric and I recorded a podcast today. I'm grateful that I made music for the first time in a couple of months. The purpose of um, sharing your gratefuls, your gratitudes, is it's a positive psychology tenet, right? It it allows you to um, use parts of your mind that are more uh, positively oriented instead of focusing on the stressors um, and the negative things from the day. So it's just a reframing exercise that's really good to ease you into going to bed. After I do my gratitudes, I will uh, read and just decompress, turn my brain off a little bit as I'm winding down for bed. And typically at nighttime, it's fiction. Like right now, I'm rereading the Harry Potter series, and uh, it's just as good as it was back when I was like in fourth grade, um, in case you were curious. But 10.30 p.m., get in bed, 11 p.m., asleep, and then I wake up every morning at 6.30. So I get seven and a half hours of sleep every single night. And um, the purpose in keeping a routine is the first, the first reason why that's so important is everything else in your day comes around that block of time. 
right? So when I wake up, the first thing I do is I read the morning brew, which is an awesome email newsletter about finance and everything else. Read the morning brew, do some stretching, some meditation, get up, the day's going at 7 a.m. I start writing, working, whatever, and then I go exercise and yada, yada. But I know exactly what my 30 minutes before bed are gonna look like. I know exactly what the 30 minutes after I wake up are gonna look like. I put it in this box, this container of sleep that is like a cherished prize or gift for me. And when people start encroaching on that or I'm traveling and I feel myself slipping away from that, I become restless because I want to go, you know, hold that line, hold that boundary for myself. So talking about routines, consistent wake up, consistent bedtime, how do you practice that? How do you emulate that? And do you hold that as a key takeaway for yourself as well? Yeah, we have a very similar routine and maybe we got it from one of the programs that we've done similarly, but yeah, for, for a very long time now, I trying to, well, first of all, trying to develop a journaling habit is, is tough for, I think for a lot of people, um, for me, it took, man, it was like on and off for shit, better part of 10 years before actually getting it done. But what I did was, what changed it was uh, Atomic Habits, yep. uh, James Clear's book. Yep. And I was able to habit stack it. And then since then, um, I was, it, was, it became really easy. So for me, everything I, every, every night, the, the last thing that I do to like wind, to like end the active day um, right before bed is I walk the dogs. I have to take them out. Hmm. So I use walking the dogs and coming back into the house as my trigger to stack the rest of my nightly routine on it. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I come back inside, I go, my office is <clears throat> behind the garage and you have to go upstairs. Like we have three stories. So you have to go upstairs to get um, back to the kitchen and everything. So before I can even go back up into the house, I go through the garage, I go into my office and I sit down and I do the gratitude journaling. Nice. And that's like, I, I, it's almost like leaving your bedroom in the morning without brushing your teeth. You feel dirty. You don't feel right. Feel I dirty. literally can't walk back up those stairs without going to that office and doing that. Nice. Yeah, it's that much of a routine now. So, uh, yeah, so that's exactly how I started. The, um, and then I go upstairs. I grab some water and then head up. I typically will read for about 30 minutes. I don't read Harry Potter. I have a hard time reading fiction for some reason. I just feel like it's like, well, that's a you problem. That's a me problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I just read whatever, I, whatever I have. Um, and about for about 30 minutes, I love that because it winds down and it also puts like, it gives you something to think about other than your day when you're falling asleep too. And it just helps. It just helps you fall asleep. I love it. Um, and I'm usually, so I try to spend nine hours in bed. Because, and I've learned like after getting the aura ring that, you know, your latency to actually falling asleep is about 30 minutes. And then if you have any like parts of the night, I don't know if you ever have any parts of the night where you have like a waking state, even though you don't know if you might've done it or you like you did, but you don't know how long it was and then how long it takes you to fall back asleep. So the actual sleep you might get in nine hours is probably about eight hours. So you actually lose some there. So I try to spend nine hours in bed. So we're usually... Your latency is 30 minutes. About 23 minutes is like... Dude, mine's like eight. That's pretty good. Like I knock out... Once Once I'm actually like done reading and going, it is... 
I am down. Yeah, I'm uncertain if they're like counting any of that from like the reading or like before, like while in bed. So maybe there was some latents, like some stuff mm. in there. I just don't know what. Fair what, enough. What it Fair reads, enough. right? Aura ring, whoop. If you're hearing this, we need yeah, some clarity. We need, we some, need clarity. some answers. Yeah, so nine hours in bed to make sure that I get that that eight hours of sleep is like the priority. I wake up. The say it's almost like the same thing but backwards. Um, I chug a pint and a half of water. That's a good one. Yep. Um, I go downstairs, let the dogs out. Same thing. Can't go back upstairs until I hit my office again. And in my office, I have uh, all my meditation stuff, my yoga stuff, and my journal. So I do, um, I do a gratitude journal in the morning. That's the first thing I do before I do my meditation. And then I do the meditation. And then if I have some time, I'll do a little bit of stretching yoga, which is just mobility. Mm-hmm. And it's like 15 minutes. <clears throat> and then I just double check because like the night, the day before I would have before I like signed out of work in order to like go be with the family. I'll have I'll write down. I'll unpack the stuff that's in my head yep. in a different I have two different like book journals. I'll unpack the stuff in my head knowing what I'm going to do the next day. So I'll review that before heading back upstairs to like check with check with the wife, make sure our schedules are aligned and all that stuff. Awesome. And then and hit it that way. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So again, number one, set a morning and night routine that blocks you off so you can protect that time and space to the best of your ability. It's really, really important and valuable. The number two takeaway that I want everybody to have, and you've already touched on it, napping. Mm. Napping is amazing and uh, very, very undervalued by our society in general, like sort of frowned upon. Uh, And... I'll be completely transparent. When I was at Untapped, pretty routinely, like multiple times a week, around two o'clock when that drowsiness hits, I would close my office door, pop my feet up, and knock out for like 10 to 15 minutes, wake up, and I am right back. So napping, you would, you would call it touching sleep. I have, I'm pretty sure this is a superpower. I don't know if I've ever met anybody else that can do this. For me, if I start getting this feeling like I am really drowsy right now and there's a fork in the road at that point, I can either go grab a cup of coffee, I can just persist and just be off my game for the next couple of hours, you know, knowing that I'm really groggy and lethargic, or I can take a quick nap. Whenever I opt to take a quick nap, I have this weird ability to fall asleep wherever I am almost immediately set no alarm and wake up between 10 and 15 minutes later, like poof, perfect, like back in action. Like I just drank a a red eye. And um, I know that a lot of people can't do that. Like a lot of people, if they lay down to take a nap, it's as though they're going to sleep. It's a two hour endeavor. They're going on this sleep journey and, you know, they need to protect that space or whatever else. You talked about using noise canceling headphones. I think that's a great idea, but What I wanted to talk about is the concept of taking what I call a micro nap, which is your brain does not actually access REM sleep, but you do dive into that theta state for a brief period of time. It's like a cognitive reset almost with your brain. And so the idea is you want to actually fall asleep anywhere between 12 and 18 minutes seems to be the the happy window for that period of time. And for me, it's, it's typically characterized by I'll wake up and not even 
really know that I was asleep, but I'll realize that there is like a period where there is an absence of memory that occurred. So like I'll be thinking things that I'm normally thinking and it sort of winds down and then I'm back awake and it's like, you don't even realize you skipped a beat, but you feel really refreshed and recharged. Mm. And so, um, I, in general, think that our society, capitalism, whatever, we put way too much emphasis on caffeine and go, go, go and grind and hustle and hack and do this. And this is a whole nother conversation, but there's a flip side of that coin, which is appropriate rest and recovery and giving the space and time for that because people are more productive when they're happy, well-rested and have their basic needs fulfilled. It's just not as sexy. And so um, what I posit is that when you are in consideration for grabbing a cup of coffee at mid-afternoon, especially now that we're here at COVID, everybody's working from home and nobody will fucking know if you do it, try going and kicking back for a little bit. Set an alarm on your phone, box yourself into a window of time that, you know, let's estimate it'll take you 10 minutes to fall asleep. Set your alarm for 30 minutes and give yourself that space to fall asleep, test it out, try it. Get a dark room, cool down the space uh, down to like 65 to 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, have some white noise and let yourself kick back and um, take a nap. I highly, highly endorse napping as a secret to paying down your sleep debt and for charging yourself back up without having to use synthetic substances like, or not synthetic, but substances for your body, like caffeine, uh, nootropics, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a game changer. I remember, so just a little, uh, anecdotal tidbit. I went from, it took education for me to prioritize sleep. And it was years ago when I was, I started my first business. I had the mentality of I'll sleep when I'm dead. And you could do that in your 20, in your early 20s. Like you still get that, you know, mental clarity. You wake up, you chug a Red Bull, which I don't even touch this stuff anymore. Yeah. Um, and like that's how I lived my life. I'll sleep when I'm dead. And I realized after years and years of doing this that it's not a good idea not to do it. And I read the books. I realized that like how important it was, and then I could like see the emotional baggage that was left from not processing my emotions through sleep. Cause that's exactly what you're doing, mm -hmm. right? Like you have the same way your body needs to recover from working out. You go through all these emotional and it's sometimes even traumatic experiences in your waking state, whether it's at work or with a relationship or whatever. And if you're not getting into like that deep Delta and theta sleep and your brain waves, and you're not unpacking that emotional baggage and you're not healing from it. So in your deep, sleep states you are literally healing emotionally before like coming back out and then mm. going back into the world so it's almost like all the stuff that's happening in your subconscious is so important as it's just sitting there like processing and processing processing in your sleep in order for you to take on the next day with like a fresh emotional slate so i guess that's and that's in anything right like if you find yourself in a place and then you educate if you're always like learning and reading and learn and, and applying what you learn, you find yourself in a place and then you educate and then you have that awareness and then you have to make a shift or a move or something like that. Cause one, that awareness will just like, just run rampant until you actually do something about it and then you get guilty or whatever. Um, but then when you actually apply what you've learned, you realize like, holy shit, this is the way it needs to be done. Yep. It feels so much better. Um, yeah, you make me want to dovetail into the four stages of learning, but I'm going to avoid that digress because that'll be a conversation for another day. Yeah. But 
one thing you brought up, like, yeah, when you're in your early 20s, you can grind. And I would argue, like, if it came down to it, we can both still grind. Like, like you know, um, my mentor, George Taylor, he's 58 now, 59, somewhere, somewhere in that range. And that dude's an animal. Like, he could, if he wanted to, work himself to the bone day in, day out, week after week, month yeah. after month. He'll go seven years without a vacation. And it's just a matter of prioritization I think like I'm capable of operating on five hours of sleep I just don't like the person that I am and I don't like the way that I feel when I do that and sometimes there's a time and a place for it like when you're trying to get a project done when there's a deadline like there are times when it's okay to push that boundary to accomplish something but I think the general rule of thumb here is this is something that should be more heavily valued than it currently is in general. And in order to feel your best, in order to perform at your best, you have to put sleep first. Because granted, if you buy yourself an extra three, four hours a day to get more work done, you'll get more work done in the short term. But what happens to the quality of it over time? And what happens to you as a person? What else are you sacrificing because you're carrying that debt around with you as you're moving? Yeah, and I, you know, I, don't, I was going to try to look for the actual stuff here, but we can put it in the show notes. When you, like cortisol is the worst thing for your body. It's the worst thing for your mind. It's the worst thing for your body. It's just not a good thing to have constantly pumping through you. Now, it's useful. Just to clarify, cortisol is a neurochemical, right. just for people who are unaware of what that is. Cortisol is a neurochemical that shows up in the same vein as like adrenaline. And mm. so when your body enters fight or flight mode, those feelings of anxiety, stress, jitters, increased heart rate, a lot of that is tied to the chemical cortisol, which pushes you to take action. It pushes you to move, but it fills up your body with that chemical and pushes out a lot of the other stuff that makes you feel good. The endorphins, the dopamine, the other chemicals that make you feel happy and fulfilled. So mm -hmm. sorry, just wanted to yeah. clarify. Yeah. So your, your sleep habits, if you aren't getting enough sleep, your body naturally has more cortisol and you when you can actually test it, like your body will have more cortisol in the morning. In the morning, your cortisol levels spike. And then they start dipping down in the afternoon. If you don't get enough sleep, you wake up, your cortisol spikes, and it typically stays a little bit higher. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Going into the third key takeaway, and just a recap, we're setting morning and nightly routines to try and box off mm. our sleep and make sure that it stays a priority and that we're getting enough of it. Number two is napping can work wonders for you. Test it, try it, set up a schedule and a cadence for it, make it a priority to catch back up and pay down your debt. Takeaway number three, have you ever read the book Sleep by Nick Littlehales? Mm -mm. He is a uh, sleep coach for a lot of professional athletes. So um, in his book, he writes a lot about working with cyclists doing the Tour de France. So he works a lot with uh, bikers or um, cyclists. And his biggest thing that is di like different from other sleep books that I've read is rather than optimizing for length of time, so thinking about eight hours, nine hours, you know, you hear somewhere in that realm as a general rule of thumb, get eight, nine hours of sleep. He posits that during a particular week, think of it in terms of REM cycles. So 90 minute batches of sleep that um, drive your overall payment for the week. So every night, 
let's say seven and a half hours of sleep is five REM cycles, five 90 minute periods where your body goes deep theta, drives into REM, you start having dreams, you come up and you go into like a waking state, you fall back into sleep and they happen on average every 90 minutes for people. And so you're supposed to get five hour, or excuse me, five REM cycles per night. In a given week, that's 35 total REM cycles. Seven days, five cycles, 35. What he talks about is you can use naps. You can catch back up. It's not so important what you get in one singular night, but it's about what you get in a weekly period, like stretching that out over time. So that concept of sleep debt, that can be paid down by taking a long nap or can be paid down by having an extra 90 minutes the following night. The thing that was really fascinating for me as part of this is note how earlier I said my sleep schedule is 11 p.m. to 6.30 a.m. That's seven and a half hours, not eight hours of me in that, that sleep period. Because when you pull yourself out of a REM cycle preemptively, when you're still in deep sleep or, or like just tapering back into it, it can really fuck you up. Like, you know, that feeling where you come out, you're like, whoa, like I should not be awake right now. And you're really groggy and you got plenty of hours of sleep, but you're really just out of it, out of whack. Typically what happens is you're mid REM, you're getting shaken awake at a time when your body was not actually prepared for it. So it's a distortion of, you know, that period of time. In my experience, since I've started implementing these blocks of time, these 90 minute windows, I feel more cognitively prepared to wake up even on nights where I'm like, shit, I, if I'm past my bedtime, if I wake up now, or excuse me, if I go to sleep now, I'm only going to get six hours and 45 minutes of sleep, right? Instead of going to bed right that moment, I'll wait another 45 minutes until I hit that next window of REM. So I back into a six hour span and know that I'll pay down that hour and a half later in the week. I'll go to bed an hour earlier or, you know, sleep in on the weekend or something like that. That's interesting. So I don't mean this to contradict the idea about routines and schedules and patterns, but shit happens, yeah. right? Like we, we travel a lot for work. We, you have family, etc. So the idea is giving yourself a little bit of grace and spreading it out over a block of time, like a week and trying to fill those 35 REM cycles in that period and grabbing them where you can and plugging them into the system. Yeah. I also, I know that for a long time, it was just like a common, a common thought that you couldn't catch up on sleep. Like you actually couldn't do it, but I know that there's been studies. I don't remember where it was. I'd have to look back at some old notes, but I know that, um, there are some sleep scientists that say that over a 10-day period, as long as you get 70 hours of sleep, have you heard this? Mm -mm. Then you're, you're good to go. Mm. So if you miss sleep, like if you only got like, if you go night for like maybe five hours of sleep or something like that, you can catch up as long as within a 10-day period of time, you get 70 hours of sleep. Cool, cool. Um, awesome. So uh, again, three takeaways. Set your morning and night routines. Take naps. And optimize for weekly REM cycles um, and don't hold yourself accountable to day in, day out what it's going to look like. But as a general rule of thumb, try to block it in. And finally, a bonus uh, takeaway, don't make big decisions when you're exhausted. <laughs> 
right? Like how many times have you got like picked a fight or gotten in an argument over little petty shit that wouldn't have bothered you normally just because you're exhausted? The same thing happens. It it impacts your decision-making. So the little things start wearing you down, wearing you down. You're pissier. You want to be by yourself. You don't want to do the exercise. You want to eat like shit. All those little things really manifest. But then also in a big macro level, your decision-making is terrible. So the best that you can avoid big business decisions, big meetings, big presentations, big life choices if you are exhausted. Try your best to charge yourself up, take a nap, do what you can to um, catch back up because it can bite you in the ass. So I don't know, someone told me a long time ago the, um, the idea of HALT. Okay. It's like an acronym. If you are feeling, this is like something you teach to children. Okay. Um, if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, if you're feeling any of these things, then not to make big decisions. Nice. Yeah. Halt. I like that a lot. Yeah. I would like to add to it. We're going to put that um, in the show notes. Dehi- I mean, it's not exactly as it doesn't really fit into halt, but, um, I noticed too, if I'm dehydrated, that it leads to, um, just like irrational thoughts and, and everything. So just chug some water. You'd be, you'd, it's crazy how fast you can feel the effects of chugging a pint of water. You are so right. Yeah. I, um, so this is a really good transition into a rapid fire question round. Um, and okay. so I just have a series of questions I'm going to throw at you. I have a couple thoughts on some of them as well. So I'll trickle my stuff in, but, um, you want to just go and bang it out? Hit me. All right. How has your sleep changed since getting an aura ring? About a five percent a week, probably, because I'm focused on it and I'm measuring. So yeah, um, yeah. So far, I would say about five percent a week. The first week was really like, let's get a baseline. The second week was like, mm, I still need a baseline, you know, maybe. But I was still like consciously thinking about my sleep and making decisions based off of it. And then the third week, so I've only had it for a little over maybe like. What, a month and a half? Two months? I don't know. Sure. Yeah, I think a month and a half. Um, and then it just became a part of my morning routine to, to at, at the end of all my stuff, to open up my phone, check yep. the aura, and then look at my sleep score. Nice. Like, uh, I struggle. I do not like being in the 70s of my sleep score. And when, if I'm in the 70s, I take it very seriously. If I'm in the 80s, I'm like, okay, I can handle that. I very rarely get into the 90s these days because like of of child and everything. But my goal is to be in the 90s often. Somehow my wife is in the 90s all the time. She gets like the best freaking sleep now that we got him on a sleep schedule. So I don't know why what it is. She's just like straight into Delta, perfect REM, just nonstop. And she got like a 96 the other day. So now I compete with her too she's got a ring that's perfect yeah it's great that's so we'll awesome. wake up and we'll look at each other's scores and just like measure it so i think that that we're only a, you know, a month and a half in and there was still you need that baseline but it's become like part of the lifestyle and i think that over time it'll just those incremental improvements of making those small adjustments in order to like get your numbers from 75 to 78 78 to 80 right those small adjustments over time i think it'll it'll uh change like our sleep tremendously. Very cool. Yeah. I, uh, so I use a whoop, you know, you have an aura ring. I use a whoop and 
I the the biggest change for me was habitualizing not just the routines and stuff, but the the quantitative analysis of it, sort of like you're talking about. One thing that I thought was really fascinating is back in April I stopped drinking alcohol, right? And so I'm at about a little over what two and a half months now where um, I have drank twice since then, and there was a huge impact on my sleep quality. And it's not like I was drinking, you know, copious amounts of liquor or beer or something before bed. I'd have a couple beers at the end of the day, a couple glasses of whiskey, like winding down, getting ready for bed. And what happened was literally as soon as like within a day of me stopping putting alcohol in my body before bed, I was going from the 60s in terms of sleep recovery to 80s, 90s, same period of sleep, same same routine, same everything. The only variable that changed over that period of time was drawing alcohol out of the mix. So I haven't done enough research to really understand why that is and what was happening, but anecdotally, that made a big difference. Mm. Another thing that I've noticed for myself as far as substances go is I also quit cannabis. And so what I noticed, this is not something that the wearable is able to tell me, Whoop was able to tell me, within a week of me not taking any substances to help me fall asleep, I started dreaming really vividly, like insane. I don't, it feels like there was some sort of suppression on my dreaming, but almost to the point of lucid dreaming, which I've never had in the past. So just it, my point here is it's really fascinating how when you test different substances, like, you know, melatonin or CBD or marijuana or alcohol, whatever, um, give yourself a week or two, like try going without it and just see what happens from a metric standpoint, from a qualitative standpoint, because that has been a really interesting exercise for me. Yeah. It's fun to try different things and just like see what happens. It actually becomes like a fun experiment. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I've done it with melatonin because I don't, I don't do melatonin every night, but there's some nights where I'm just like, I feel like I need it. Yeah. You know, so like I've noticed the difference. Um, I actually noticed that I get higher scores with the melatonin. I don't know. I haven't done it in a, in a week or so. So I got I can, I'll check that one again. Give it a whirl. Yeah. yeah sorry. I said rapid fire. We're going yeah, kind of go. slow. All right. Um, what are your thoughts on melatonin, CBD, uh, other substances that help you theoretically get better rest, get better sleep? So I don't have anything against it. I don't, I, I try to lean away from relying on any chemicals that aren't naturally produced. Like you have this chemistry set up here in your head that if you learn how to use can be like a game changer can affect your life in such positive ways. So I try to not rely on these things, but there are certain circumstances in my life, you know, like, having a kid dealing with like maybe work stuff or stress or when you recognize this kind of stress where I don't think it, I mean, whatever you need to do, get to sleep, do make yourself happy. Right. I mean, (laughs) just don't rely on it. And I think that if, is, if everyone had, if you had that mentality, if you caught yourself like, okay, eh, I've done this for two or three days in a row now, maybe it's time to like have some natural gap in Mm -hmm. your, right. And then, and then just do it that way. Try to focus on the routine, like the wind down period. Yeah. My, my sort of rule of thumb is I don't, like I said, I quit cannabis Mm -hmm. and all these other things that were crutches for me. 
Um, and it turns out I didn't need them. I just convinced myself that I did. If I am past my bedtime, so for me like 11 p.m., if I'm still up and I've, I've done my routine, I've tried to go to sleep the normal way, I'm past my bedtime and I'm still wired, like whether something happened or whatever, I'll give myself the grace to take some melatonin, like three milligrams of melatonin. Cause mm-hmm. I know if I'm at this point and my normal wind down didn't work, like I'm kind of fucked for a while. Mm-hmm. And so either I get up and I just embrace the fact that I'm not gonna be able to sleep or I aid myself um, with something. A lot of the over the counter, they're all over the counter, but a lot of the ones you find at CVS, like they come in like five, 10 milligrams. Mm-hmm. That's way too much melatonin. Um, what I think about three, like two and a half to three milligrams of melatonin is right on. I've heard stories of people taking like two or three of those things and it has the people don't know, but it has the opposite effect. It can actually negatively affect your sleep if you take too much hmm. melatonin. Interesting. Yeah. Um, cool. We should link to something for yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah, we could link to it. But yeah, I mean if you do the pills, I you break it in half and take a little bit. If I do it, I let it dissolve under my tongue. Hmm. Cool. Uh next question. Do you use night mode or flux or anything like that on your devices to inhibit the blue light so you can get ready for bed and your your brain isn't tricked into thinking it's in sunlight? Yeah, I use night mode, but I don't after like once I get into like the journaling stuff and all, I just don't I don't touch my phone. Cool. Yeah. Uh, easy peasy. How, what are some tricks uh, you've mentioned drinking a shit ton of water on, on days where you didn't get a lot of sleep, but you have to perform at a high level. Like you just don't have the luxury of resting. What are some tricks that you have to try and catch back up? Coffee. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like there's no nap, there's no nap in sight. Y- yeah. Yeah. Like, like let's, can't you're, do it. you're driving to Raleigh, you have series of meetings, you're presenting something for your business. Like, yeah, you're just, you're yeah. moving. Um, yeah, I mean, coffee. I don't know even know if I have any other tricks. Like, at that point, when you're just like, you have nothing else you could do, no time to meditate, no time to touch sleep, if you don't have, like, that 15 minutes. That 15 minutes is a game changer. Yes. It's like, if you can get that 15 minutes in, and you're, you can get good at it, mm-hmm. like, I'm like you. I'm like a master at the 15-minute nap. I can slip right in there, wake up, and I feel like I just just so much more mental clarity. Like I just chugged like a couple different shots of five hour energy or something. Yep. Without the jitters, without the jitters. Yeah. For me, I like to, well, if we're talking about just being on the move again, this isn't really viable. So you brought up meditation. If you can afford it, 15 minute nap, if you can afford it, you've talked about slamming a pint and a half of water, Mm -hmm. which for those of you playing at home is 24 ounces. And, uh, the last one for me is going for a run, like a one mile, two mile run, just like, not dead ass sprint, but also not walking. Like I'm getting my heart rate up a little bit without exhausting myself. I had a presentation I had to do one time and I was so exhausted. I was up late the night before I got barely any sleep and I was anxious because I get like really anxious, put me up in front of a ton of people like that and I'll get anxious. So, um, on top of the angst, I didn't want to drink coffee. Right. So I was just like, I know it's just going to make me even more anxious. So I'm just not going to do it. Okay. Um, so what I did instead was there was like this big flight of stairs. I knew I had to go up and instead of taking an elevator, I like, I took the flight of stairs and I just ran up this flight of stairs before getting there. I got there about 15 minutes early to like calm myself down. But those opportunities, I think, I don't know. That's really good. Yeah. If you can find them, like run to your, out of your car to wherever you're going, do like a quick, like sprint. If you had like five blocks to go, 
hit two of them. On, nail it. Just nail it. Totally yeah. agree. Um, okay, last question. Do you have any hacks to fall asleep when you're struggling? Yeah, I don't. Uh, so, you know what? I don't even remember the name of it. We put it in the show notes. Okay. There's this breathing exercise. Um, let me get the numbers right. What I do is four four seconds in. It's like box breathing, but it's 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 it's, it's extended in each one of the um, sides. Okay. So it's four seconds in. I think it's a five second hold and a six second release. Huh. And then uh, like a one or two second on the bottom, and then four seconds in. And if and sometimes if I just do that, I'm out. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, anything else? You know, sometimes it works for me to just shut my body down from my feet to my hair. Meditation a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so it's meditations where you relax all the way up. That has that used to work for me. For some reason lately, it hasn't because like I've you know I've done some hypnotherapy. Like sometimes I'll like do certain meditations on the weekends that are very similar to like hypnotherapy or like being in hypnosis. So mm-hmm. I think that I'm like, for some reason I've gotten like really sensitive to, to those states like of consciousness. Scans. Yeah. 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 So if I start doing that scan, it used to work great and I would pass right out. But now if I start doing that scan, it puts me back into that place where like oh, I'm expecting to learn something mm-hmm. or I'm expecting something else. So it doesn't work for me, but that could work for that makes sense. a lot of people. I have two things. One is an item that's really helpful. It's called a Marpac dome. Uh, and it's basically this thing. It's like this big sits on your nightstand and you can turn it on. And it's literally just a white noise machine. Just and you can turn it up, turn it down. Um, it's really cool. It, 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 it knocks out all noise. I have a roommate. I can't hear anything. Just basically blankets your room in just static white noise. That's really nice. That's super helpful. And then another trick that my grandfather actually taught me when I was younger um, that I use regularly if I can't fall asleep, I'll start at 400, the number 400 in my head, and you count down by threes from 400. So, you know, 400, and I, and I time it with my breath. So it's like inhale, 400, exhale, inhale, 397, exhale, inhale, 394. And you keep doing that. And you'll start losing track of where you are in the cadence. And the key is just go back to the last number that you remember, which sometimes you'll jump up like 50, like, fuck, I totally zoned out. But zoning out means you're starting to fall into sleep. I have maybe two times ever that I've tried this, not made it or made it to zero and didn't fall asleep. And like, clearly there was something else going on. Either I was way over caffeinated or something else. It works like magic you time your breath you do the numbers and you just slowly drift um it's awesome so weekly challenge this is our favorite part of the show because we get to torture each other for long periods of time for the sake of learning of course uh We have this chalkboard behind us, keeping score of how many challenges we each successfully complete. After 10 episodes, the person with the fewest points has to do a user-submitted challenge. Last week was my turn to complete a challenge uh, as presented by Eric. I'll let you sort of drive that, and then I'll give you your challenge for the week. Well, you killed it, right? My challenge was an hour and 20-minute meditation. 
erect. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sitting posture erect. Posture erect, <laughs> and uh, man, and you killed it, right? You did. You did. Uh, you you did a what a warm up meditation yoga into a straight sixty minute meditation, right? Yeah, I so I didn't do a full hour twenty minutes of just like pure sitting down meditating. The first yeah. twenty minutes was like stretching, breathing, like literally. And I'm super glad I did that because sitting cross legged for an hour on like I sat on a sauna pillow mm-hmm. like I have these you know antimicrobial like anti-sweat pillows that I use for my sauna and it's just like the size of your butt cheeks it's like that big and so I sat on that thing and for an hour it's like either your b- lower back hurts a little bit or your um hip flexors start hurting and yeah. so you're like constantly doing this sort of like shuck and jive yeah so the point of that, so there's this, I've, there's this stuff that I've read. I've read it in multiple different places, but they did these these studies with monks that meditated for a long period of time. And the new monks that once they just started meditating and getting into those really long ones, they found that once they got to the point of physical pain and they were able to kind of transcend that physical pain, their minds went into a completely different state of consciousness. And they were able to like access different parts of their mind or different like emotional states and stuff like that. So that's, it was like, it's super important to do the long distance one in order to access some other mm. way of thinking of some other consciousness. So it, it's like uh, some transcendental like thing yeah. that happens. I, I certainly didn't get there. Like, you know, you're probably still in a ton of pain. <laughs> I was, I was still in pain. Um, and obviously for them, like they're literally professional yeah. meditators. Mm. Um, but one thing that was really interesting for me, and I talk about this a little bit, like we'll upload the videos from the uh, actual challenge I recorded myself sitting there doing it a couple times. All right, it is 6.30 a.m. Um, I am about to get started on my hour-long meditation as assigned to me by Eric for my challenge. Uh, I just did a little bit of yoga breathing to get myself ready to rock. Um, I have fallen in and out of a regular meditation practice, um, but typically I use an app like Headspace, Calm, uh, Sam Harris's Waking Up. and they're a lot shorter. They're like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And so this is going to be by far the longest stretch that I've gone. Also, I don't have a chair or anything. I'm just sitting on the floor cross-legged. Uh, so wish me luck. I'll keep you guys posted. Cheers. This, this is the first time I'm talking about this publicly, but I went through a breakup recently that I'm still sort of working through and processing. And one of the biggest things that came out of the meditation was... I recognize that I've sort of been like compartmentalizing and procrastinating dealing with the emotion that has come from COVID and not seeing my family for a long time and leaving untapped that whole decision to go start my own business and having this breakup that I've been going through. There's been so much shit that's happened over the last three months that typically I would do something sort of like hedonistic, like go on a trip, go on some journey, like go, uh, process like Mm. go process and instead everything's just sort of bled through like my house is now my workstation my workstation is now my house like my bedroom serves multiple purposes my office serves multiple purposes my family room does and so like 
typically you and I talk a lot about having like totems or separations between church and state with how we do things like, okay, this is my space for this, this is my space for this. And like all of that has just sort of bled together in my life, which has cognitively and emotionally led me to bleed everything together. And so I've realized that there are these like big fucking things about myself that I have been like pushing off dealing with. And that's not good. And that's not me. Like typically when there's a, a conflict or a problem or a thing, I dive headfirst into that motherfucker. And like, I haven't been. And so I'm really glad that I did that meditation because I, the, I, I thought about it like procrastinating. Like I know this about myself when there's something that's really hard or something that's way too easy, I put it off. And we talked about that a lot in the last episode. I put it off. I'll deal with it later. I think the, the, the breadth of emotions that I have experienced and sort of like not addressed has been so broad that I've been blowing off my meditation routine, my sauna routine, my recovery routines, like the things that actually let this bubble up to the surface, I've been procrastinating on and not giving myself the time or space to dive into it. So thank you. The challenge ended up being really timely and um, really mind opening for me, even if I didn't reach that like Tibetan transcendental space. Yeah. Well, the other, I mean, the other, it's just so beneficial to sit by yourself with yourself. No matter what situation you find yourself in, if you're in an emotional state, if you're in an amazing, great gratitude state, just being able to sit by yourself with yourself, with your own mind, I think is just like so powerful. You're so right. You're yeah. so right. So thank you for that one. Yeah. Uh, so give me a tick, motherfucker. Yeah, you win. We're head, heads up. I know I'm going to lose this fucking challenge anyway. Let's go one to one, one to one, two episodes down, two wins. Are you ready for your challenge? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So for those of you playing at home, today is July 10th. Our next session is going to be July 17th. So we have a whole week between now and the next episode. And Eric and I have given each other like one day or one hour things because it's been three day windows between sessions. But this time I'm going to up the ante a little bit. And it's not necessarily more challenging. It just requires more consistency for you to pull this off. Your challenge, in the next seven days, you have to complete 1,000 push-ups, which averages out to approximately 141.3 a day, uh, roughly. Okay. Um, and I know, like you said, you're going to get a, uh, a pump on after our podcast here, so you're going to work out. But um, yeah, batch it out, whatever you need to do. I want you to get to a thousand push-ups between now and the next time we record. For a little bit of background as to why I'm challenging you for this, I set a goal at the beginning of this year to do 20,000 push-ups throughout the year. I'm currently at like 10,600 or something like that. So um, I try to every day get a hundred push-ups in. Sometimes I fuck up and go a few days without doing it and I'll go play catch-up. But having that like anchor cornerstone habit that even if I don't do it, I'm thinking about it and know I have to play catch up on it has been really good for me, especially in the context of stopping drinking, stopping smoking pot, like all of that. It's like, you know, um, atomic habits or power of habit. They talk about cornerstone habits, like one thing that you change that gives you positive momentum and other pieces of your life and sort of starts the flywheel. Um, Push-ups to me has been a really powerful one. And so I want you to experience that. So what, give me your, educate me, give me your techniques. Like how do you get, so if I have to do a hundred and how many a day? 
Uh, it's like 140. 140 to, a day. Yeah, in seven days you get a thousand. It's somewhere in that vicinity. Okay. So did you did you do like X amount in the morning, X amount in the afternoon, X amount in the evening, or for like me, sets like that throughout the day? So twenty thousand in a year. If you do a hundred a day it, for an entire year, it's three hundred sixty or sorry, three thirty six thousand five hundred push ups. Mm. So so twenty thousand is doing roughly sixty percent of the year. You do a hundred per day, and because I haven't been insanely diligent about it on a day-to-day 100, 100, 100, 100 basis, some days I'll do 200, some days I'll do zero, 150, whatever. The way I like to do it is I'll wake up in the morning as part of that morning routine that we talked about. I'll, I'll bang out 50 of them. And I used to do it in 25 rest, 25 rest. So like for the first few months, I would do rounds of 25, aggregating to 100 or 150 or 200 and I would just do that throughout the day and just keep a mental tally. Mm. But then as I got stronger and I'm able to do more, I'll do 40 at a time now. So I'll do 40, 80, 120, 40, 80, you know, 200. And um, so for me, the strength came pretty quick and I'll just do bigger batches. So that way you get it done more quickly. And it's obviously challenging your stamina and strength. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. I like this one. Awesome. Awesome. So a thousand push-ups between now and July 17th. Okay. All right. Entrepreneurs on the fly. Here we talk about our businesses, uh, what problems we've experienced, lessons we've learned, and recommendations to improve. Uh, Eric and I make a lot of mistakes. Uh, fortunately, some things end up working out for the better, but either way, this is an opportunity for us to explore and grow with one another. Um, so this week, Eric, you want to bat lead on what we're talking about? Yeah. So I had, um, just to give a little bit of context, I've been developing software for some time now, and I've had a very painful experience with, um, programmers, uh, specifically the outsourced programmers so okay. we've we've had to transition from uh from development team to development team a couple times now and those transitions are always like just intensely painful there's just a lot of man hours that goes into those transitions and they're just really hard so we've been delayed 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 covid delayed delayed delay just like all these things that are just delaying uh getting everything out but i had a finally had a really awesome last few weeks of just amazing progress and we're actually going to be pushing something out within the next uh, couple of weeks dude congrats is yeah. that like a beta or yeah, what is it that you guys are launching still be very beta we, we have a pretty cool uh test group several that we're going to be pushing out to in like a very systematic way just to get uh users and everything but uh i'm not gonna re- you know release anything as far as like what it is just yet okay but uh it's been a wild experience. I've learned a ton with dealing with outsourced help, uh, software programming, the whole jam. So it's it, we got to a point where now I feel like all the pain of the past of like trial and error, trial and error, trial mm-hmm. and error, and then delay, 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 is finally coming to a point where we actually have something really cool that we can finally introduce to a test group, a, another test group, because we've already done it a few times. Um, and get to a point where we can just iterate based off of the feedback and then try to really push something out that is really useful. Nice. Yeah. Um, not necessarily in the spirit of outsourced work per se, but being in a spot where I'm trying to 
ensure that I have product market fit, which is similar to what you're doing in launching a beta version of this, right? It's just continuing to perpetuate that discovery side of things. So that way, you know, when it's time to start selling and pouring money into the business, uh, not that you haven't spent a little bit of money already, that you know you have the right product for the right market, right. et cetera. And so for me, in the same vein this week, I've decided that for um, we're launching a course called Mindset Accelerator. And so the idea is instead of a traditional school or accelerator program where you're learning hard skills that apply to growing a business or um, you know, you're know you a grad student learning what it takes to be a lawyer, we focus on your mindset. So the things that are going to fortify you and prepare you for the inevitable challenges that will come up with becoming a first-time entrepreneur or a lawyer or an athlete or whatever these places are. So it's all 100% focused on the I and the self and mm -hmm. developing and fortifying that. But we have to test that. We have to test the messaging. We have to test you know, the modules in the course. And so I built out a landing page or I've designed it, wrote all the copy. I'm sending it out to outsource help um, to put ads out there for our target audience push people to the video sales page, the landing page or the value sales landing page, and then push them into applying for the program. And in that application process, we'll have an interview where I can ask them about their pain points and things that have gone well for them, what's gone poorly. The whole point is making sure that I am architecting the programming around what people are actually experiencing in their lives rather than me trying to guess. Mm. And so that, that process of discovery and finding product market fit, whether you're launching an expensive B2B software company, which you can talk more about when you're comfortable or launching a course that's going direct to consumer, you still have to go through that exercise of validating the idea, collecting feedback and trying to pre-sell it before, um, you invest and go bet the, bet the house on it. Yeah. Which is so important. So important. And yeah. challenging. I mean, that alone has its own trials and errors to make sure you're getting the right feedback, measuring the right things. Like what you're, I mean, there's key performance indicators based off of that alone to inform your next decisions. 100%. You have to know exactly what the, yeah, that's tough stuff. Um, cool. Well, uh, everybody, thank you for listening. Um, this has been episode three of the Beanie and Blazer podcast. As always, please leave a review wherever it is that you uh, listen to the podcast. Um, if you have any questions, concerns, comments, want to submit an idea for Eric to do when he loses the challenge after 10 episodes, email us at podcast at beanieandblazer.com. We will respond to anything and everything you send our way. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening to Beanie and Blazer Radio. If you liked what you heard, please uh, subscribe and review us on the App Store. We're in Stitcher, Apple, and Spotify. Additionally, we always have resources available for you at beanieandblazer.com resources. You can join the Hive, our email community, download an ebook called Restless to Relentless to teach you the first seven days of moving towards a high-performance mindset. Have a great week. Kick some ass. Thanks for listening.